Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today we invite you to join us in our message series and dive deeper into what God's Word has for us today. You may be seated today, Easter Sunday. I am so grateful to God that we are here and we are alive. I'm so grateful that I'm not in my basement as I was last Easter with my family watching church on TV. But we're here with the people of God singing His praises, celebrating the line of the tribe of Judah who conquered the grave. Is He worthy? He is. Let me say it again and you respond with all your heart. Is He worthy? Does the Father truly love us? Does the Spirit move among us? Yes, that's why we're here, church, to celebrate, to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are in Matthew 28. Matthew 28, there are two narratives alive and well in the world. One of them says, money makes the world go round. The other one says, Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. Many side with money. Few side with Jesus. Whose side are you on? Let's pray. Our risen king, we come to you. We gather in your name the name you share with the Father and the Holy Spirit. We're here to celebrate your worthiness. The tomb was cold, but your body warm. Darkness thought it won, but your light would never go out. Let us find ourselves today in your story, that we may conquer all other narratives and values that deliver no life. Come, come, Father. Come, Spirit of God. Come, Lord Jesus, come to us as you came to the women at the tomb and give us new life. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. More money makes it harder for you, for us, to experience joy. Has it ever happened to you that you find in one of your pockets money you were not expecting? Has ever happened to you? You know, you're going about your business and you're like in your closet tidying up your clothes. And you stick your hand in one of your jean pockets and out comes a $100 bill. Yeah, okay, I know that rarely happens, but I just think about that, right? Like you're like, wow, this is a hot date right here. This is Starbucks for a month. I mean, it makes your day, yes or no? I mean, just think about this. Now, let's say that your net worth is about $80,000. So that's everything you own minus everything you owe. So $80,000. So with a net worth of $80,000, that unexpected $100 bill made your day. Now, let me ask you this. You know, in order to have the same feeling of joy that that unexpected $100 bill gave you, do you know how much money in his pocket Mark Zuckerberg would have to find, the founder of Facebook? $116 million. Based on his net worth. You know, like... It's not going to happen, you know, for, for him to match the level of joy that you'd have with that $100 bill, you'd have to have that, find that many million just lying around unexpectedly. It's not going to happen. It's impossible. More money makes it harder for you to experience joy. Even though we think that more money makes it easier for us to experience joy, 
But scripture tells us it won't, and empirical evidence also tells us it won't. There was a landmark study done by two researchers at Princeton University where they concluded that beyond 75000 listen to this, beyond $75,000 a year, money will not do a thing to add to your happiness. This holds even in very expensive cities like New York. What the study demonstrates is that poverty does make life hard. We need some basic things like clothing and shelter and food in order to have stability and to thrive. But what the study surprisingly showed was that beyond a certain point, money won't do a thing for you in terms of your happiness. Here's what the report says. No matter where you live, your emotional well-being is as good as it's going to get at a certain point, And more money is not going to make it any better beyond that point. It's like you hit some sort of ceiling. And you can't get emotional well-being much higher just by having more money. Now, why do I bring this up on Resurrection Sunday? Because the Christian faith denies that money makes the world go round. Even though most of our culture believes it. Instead, the Christian faith affirms that Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. And it's in fact his very presence that transforms our drab, plain lives into glorious agents of a new world. And the only reason that he's able to be present with us this very moment is that he rose from the dead. And so we're going to look at what his presence does in the tomb, in the city, and on the mountain. First, the tomb. Look at verse 1 of chapter 28 in the Gospel of Matthew. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Now the Jewish leaders who were responsible for the execution of Jesus went to Pilate and asked him to secure the tomb. They were concerned that some of his followers would come, some of the followers of this imposter in their eyes would come and steal the body because they remember that he had said that after three days he would rise. So they go to Pilate and Pilate says, sure, make it as secure as you want. Use your own uh, temple police guard for this. And so they go and they seal the, st the stone that was covering the tomb and they put guards in place. Well, after the Sabbath, two of Jesus' disciples, both of them named Mary, go to the tomb. Other gospels tell us that they wanted to anoint his body with spices. But as they get there, there's this earthquake because an angel had descended from heaven and rolled back the stone and sat on it. But what I want us to notice is that both the guards and the women were afraid. But the angel does not address the guards. He only has a word for the women. The angels just fell as though dead. You know, earthquake, angel, guards pass out, you know. But for the women, the angel had a very important word. He says to them, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. In other words, this is a day of joy. There's no reason for you to be afraid, women. There's a lot of reason for the guards to be afraid, but not for you. 
And then he says to them, he makes this announcement. He says to them, he is not here for he has risen as he said. The angel is the one who gives the first announcement of the resurrection. He's the one that speaks those three glorious now historic words. He has risen. Now, if we're going to doubt the angel's announcement about the resurrection, we also need to doubt his announcement to Joseph when Mary was pregnant with Jesus. The angel comes to Joseph and says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall name his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Angels are messengers from God. They often interpreted God's acts. Well, after this word, the angel has another very important word for the women in verse 8. He says, then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Okay, this is the first time that the Easter message is passed on. The, the angel tells the women to go and tell the women that Jesus is now there, that he's risen, uh, and that he's going to Galilee ahead of them. This is very important. This is in the middle of verse 7. He says, and behold, he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. Okay, now let's back up. On the night of his arrest, when Jesus was predicting that Peter was going to deny him three times, then Jesus says to Peter, but after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. So Jesus has said this to them, now the angel to the women, and the women take off with a mixture of fear and joy to tell the disciples. But as they're going, Jesus himself appears to them. In verse 9, and behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Okay, this is very important. So Jesus tells Peter on the night of his arrest that after he's raised up, he will go before them to Galilee. Then the angel tells the women the same thing basically. Go tell, go tell the others that he's going before you into Galilee. And now Jesus tells the women that he's going to go to Galilee and that there the disciples will see him. Okay, now listen to this because this is very important for your life. At the tomb, there's a division. Heaven touches earth. The realm of God invades the realm of man. The life of God destroys death in the death of Jesus. So we have the angel and we have Jesus, although Jesus is not there anymore. He's left the tomb. But the angel and Jesus essentially have the same word for the women. Do not be afraid and tell the others to go to Galilee. So they comfort them and then commission them. But for the guards, neither Jesus nor the angel have any words. Nothing. The, angel, uh, the, the guards simply see the angel, feel the earthquake, and become, become as of dead. Nothing. The, the realm of God invading the realm of man is not transformative for the guards. They only experience fear. Why? Why is the experience so different for the women? Because they were seeking Jesus who was crucified. They had seen his glory. They had followed him all the way to the end. They were not ashamed to be identified with him. And so they come to a place of death, a tomb, 
expecting to find someone dead. But when they come to this place of death, expecting to find death, they're the first ones that find resurrection life. Something that no one had ever seen ever before. That's what's there waiting for them. Why? Because when you're seeking Jesus, you will always find life. They were seeking Jesus and what they find is life. It's always what happens. Now here, we have been done with 12 months of a lot of death. I mean, I've talked to a number of people in the medical professional and they just have felt surrounded, accosted by death. Death can be scary and numbing and confusing. There's a lot of flare-ups of mental health issues right now. But we need to know that more than wanting the world to return to normal, although we want that as well, we need to know that especially in a place of death, everyone who seeks Jesus will find life because that's what happens. Whenever we seek Christ, we will find life. And so the question for us is, what are you seeking with your life? Just think about that. What are you after in your life? Do you seek the Christ, the one who is crucified, but also who has risen from the dead? From the tomb, we go to the city. In verse 11. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests and all that had, all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Okay, we began by saying that there are two narratives alive and well in the world today. One of them says money makes the world go round. That was certainly true for the guards at the tomb who now go to the city and tell the Jewish authorities everything that took place. Now, this was precisely the concern that the Jewish leaders had, that something was going to happen at the tomb. But their meager efforts to try to defeat God's plan could not stop the earth from shaking or the lion from rising. He has risen. And so they take counsel with one another and decide to pay off the guards. And they spin it. They tell them, just say to people that, while, that you fell asleep and while you were sleeping, his disciples came and stole the body. But there are holes with this tale. If they were sleeping, how did they know what happened? And if some of them were not sleeping, then why didn't they get the others and stop that from happening? In any event, the soldiers take the money, and that's the story that circulates in Jewish circles back in that day. But what I want you to see is that the Jewish leaders used bribe money to get Judas to, to betray Jesus. And now they're using bribe money to get the guards to spread this lie. You see, the currency of deception is money. If we only knew all the lies that have been perpetrated and circulated in the history of humankind by means of money. I'm not saying that money is evil. A lot of good can and has been done with money. But what we also need to know is that Money is such a dominant and destructive presence in the world that Jesus often spoke against it and warned that we cannot serve both God and money. But all of that deception 
happens in the city. Now, someone once said that a city is more than a place in a space. It's a drama in time. A city is more than a place in a space. It's a drama in time. What does that mean? Cities create and birth stories, narratives. Narratives are produced and told in cities. Cities are centers of thought and life and creativity and community. I love cities. I loved New York City. I loved living there. I loved the energy and the, the activity and the hustle and bustle and the bagels. Have you ever had a New York bagel? Have you had, yeah, they're so good. Yeah, Ron knows. I mean, they're so good. But I'm not talking about a New York bagel made in Detroit, you know? Uh, that'd be like saying, have you had Starbucks coffee made at McDonald's? It's like, nothing against McDonald's or Starbucks. I'm just saying, you can't make a New York bagel in Detroit. But I love cities. Cities are wonderful. When I was coming to, to Woodside, when I was interviewing, you know, they said to me, well, we have campuses in, in, in the city, in the suburbs, and in rural towns. And I said, hey, I'll do suburbs all day long. I'll do a city all day long. But please don't put me in a rural town or I will die. I will die. You know, some of you say to me, like, hey, you seem to really be happy doing your job here. I'm like, yes, yes, because I'm now wilting away in farm country. I love cities. You know, cities are great places, great places. But remember, a city is more than a place in a space. It's a drama in time. There are narratives that are spun in cities, that are created in cities. The narrative of your own life, listen to me, the narrative of your own life is being shaped right now in this city. Many of you came, moved to the city to make money. And that's all right and good. But remember, there's a deeper narrative that must animate your life. And it's not one that can be bought with money. The presence of money is so powerful so controlling for so many of our lives that it can only be overcome by another presence. And that's the presence of Jesus Christ. Many side with money. Few side with Jesus. Whose side are you on? Are you for sale? Are you for sale? Because so often what gets the best of us is what money can buy. So from the tomb, we move to the city and finally to the mountain. That's where Matthew ends his account of the risen Christ. Verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So to the mountain in Galilee, the disciples go. Having abandoned Jesus on the night of his betrayal, of his arrest, they now meet him again. They meet him in a place where they've met him many times before, where he's met them before, where he's transformed them and addressed their hearts like no one else ever could. And their posture is worship, although some doubt, some hesitate. You see, Jesus is and is not the same. And so we're going to have to learn to relate to him all over again now that he's full of glory. And actually, they're going to need the power, the power of the Holy Spirit that's coming in a few days to enable them to grasp what's happening now with the arrival of God's kingdom 
onto the earth stage and what their role in it is. This is really exciting. God's kingdom has arrived and our role in it is so vital. But I want you to focus on the universality, the universality of Christ's language here. He says, all authority, all nations, all commandments, and all the days. Look at those briefly with me. He starts with all authority. Verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. It's not that he didn't have it before, but now its application goes beyond the confines of Israel onto the world and in fact onto the universe. Satan tried to turn him as he did Adam. The social and political structures of his day put him to death, but he emerged triumphant. He has risen with all authority in heaven and on earth. Next, all nations. Verse 19, he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. You see, the mission is not just for Israel. Now, the ingathering of God's people begins. Now, the disciples need to get ready to go. The Spirit of God will come precisely to empower and mobilize the church for mission. Everyone, everywhere must hear the proclamation of Jesus and be baptized into one name. The name of the Father and of the, Spirit, of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And when you're baptized into that one name, you come under the family of God. And under the authority of God's Son and with the power of God's Spirit. All nations need this. Then all commandments. Verse 20, he says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. You see, the Christ vested with universal authority makes two demands of us by this command. First, that we obey all his commands. We're not at liberty to relax any of them in our practice. And two, that we teach all his commands. We're not at liberty to relax any of them in our teaching. Obedience matters. Holiness matters. Collectively and individually, we are to resemble our Lord more and more. And our passion to go and teach and make disciples and baptize them should only get more intense as we mature. All commandments. And then finally, all the days. This is it, you guys. This is the last statement in all of Matthew's gospel, this glorious gospel we've been studying for a number of weeks now. This is the last thing. You know that how authors often put the most important thing at the beginning and at the end because it matters. They want it to be prominent. This is the line. And Jesus says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Always there, really in Greek, Literally in Greek means all the days, every day. Jesus promises his presence. He says, I am with you always. It's what Matthew started with in chapter one, Emmanuel, God with us. And it's what he ends with. I am with you always. What he's promising to us is that he's present with us always, every single day until the end of the age. But I want you to notice this. That the chief priest used bribe money to get the soldiers to spread a lie. Whereas Jesus uses the promise of his presence to get the disciples to spread the truth of the gospel. Do you see? Which narrative are you inhabiting? The power of money or the presence of Christ? You see, the Christ is with us. 
The Christ is with us. This is glorious. This is amazing. The presence of Jesus gives us new life every day. Just this morning, before I left the house, everyone was up early today. And we have two, our two younger daughters, they share a room. Have two beds side by side. But last night, one of them, early in the night, came to our bed and stayed there. Sometimes we try to send them back, but they won't go. It's like, okay, so she stayed there. But we knew that the other one, when she woke up and saw that she was alone, ooh, sometimes that's not very good. But this morning, that one told us, you know, I woke up in the middle of the night, and I saw that my sister wasn't there, but I said to myself, I'm not alone. God is with me. And I was like, this is so great. This is such a gift for me because I know she's heard that many times and she knows it in her head. But in the moment of trial, in the darkness of the night by herself, to be able to say to her, and she was beaming when she said this to me at seven in the morning today. I was like, glory, praise God. Because you see, the, the presence of Jesus brings new life to us every day. We can live, it's so easy for us to live as if he had not risen. You see, the angels, the angel and Christ did not have a word for the guards. The guards simply took the bribe money and stayed out of trouble. Those who have not known the power of God live by the motto, money makes the world go round. Whether that's you and you have money and you see it as the source of your satisfaction and security and significance. Or whether you have none of it and you see money and those who have it as the oppressors who are holding you down. But for those who seek Jesus who was crucified. For those who see in his death the glory of the Son of God. For those who are not put off but entreated by the death, by the foolishness of the cross. Jesus comes to them as the risen one. The ever-present one. And he comes to us in the tomb where the presence of death feels so strong. He comes to us in the city where a different narrative, one often guided by the deception of money, that shapes our lives and tries to dominate our lives. And he comes to us on the mountain, so to speak, where he has met us many times before, where he's transformed us, where he's addressed our hearts like no one else can. The Christ is with us. I love, I love that Jesus says to the disciples on the night, the dark night of his arrest, he says, you will all be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And then the angel says the same to the women to tell the others that Jesus goes before you to Galilee. Here's the thing. Jesus arrives at our future before we do. Do you hear that? Jesus arrives at our future before we do. He has an answer to a question we haven't even asked yet. He has a solution to a problem we haven't even walked into yet. This is amazing because I've seen it so much in my life and in the lives of so many people that we walk into a problem. We just walk right straight into it and our lives begin to spin out of control. But you see, Jesus arrives at our future ahead of us. You have to imagine that after Passover in Jerusalem, the disciples were going back where? To Galilee. 
but they would arrive there distraught. They would arrive there in total despair. They they were going back home, back to what was comfortable, if not hopeless. For all they knew, they were leaving Jesus defeated in a dark, musty tomb in Judea. But they were wrong. Because he was not in the tomb. He had risen. And in fact, he was going to Galilee ahead of them. He was going to beat them to Galilee. He was not going to give them time to get there and get comfortable. Same old, same old. Uh Uh-uh. Nothing will be the same. He got there ahead of them, and guess what? Nothing would be the same ever again for them or for the rest of the world because resurrection life is now available to all. I am still amazed 27 years later that just two months after I arrived in New York City from Colombia, knowing and having nothing but the American dream, el sueño americano, that just two months after I got there, Jesus was there ahead of me, and he began to rewrite my story. It's amazing. All I knew was one narrative. Money makes the world go round, so get working, John. But Christ was there ahead of me waiting for me and he had people for me who met me and introduced me to his presence and his power and he began to rewrite my story and my life has never been the same the Christ was with me then and he's been with me ever since what about you what about you maybe you've come here today feeling closer to death like the women did at the tomb or maybe you're closer to the deception of what money can buy. Like the guards in the city. Or maybe you're closer to the doubt and confusion of even some of the disciples on the mountain. Listen, whatever your state, you need to know that you can know Jesus. Jesus gets there ahead of you. Wherever you are, he gets there ahead of you. And he can always be with you if you receive him by faith. But you have to receive him by faith. Next week, right here at 1030 in the building, we're going to have a class for anyone who wants to find out what it means to give your life to Jesus. Because some people are confused about this and you don't want to be. But where have you been? Where have the last 12 months left you? Where have they left you? How would you describe it? As trauma? as loss, as confusion? Are you more afraid? Are you more worried? Are you more divided from your friends and family and even church family? Are you more inward, like a turtle, hard shell to the world, pulled in? Listen, wherever you might be, I believe that with Resurrection Sunday, so today, you need to mark a new beginning. He is risen. Is he worthy? He is. Let me say it again and you respond with all your voice. Is he worthy? Does the Father truly love us? Does the Spirit move among us? Yes, he does. He does. I don't know what COVID said to you. I don't know what this last season has done to you. But you need to say, COVID be done. Be gone. Jesus knew that I'd be here and he got here ahead of me and he has life for me. Life indestructible. He is with us every day. Church, 
we've been commissioned by the one with all authority in heaven and on earth. We've been called by the one who calls us to go to all nations. By the one who's molding us to all his commands. By the one whose very presence is with us every single day until the end of the age. The Christ is with us because he has risen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We bow before you. We are humbled, Lord, by this moment, by the fact that we can know life, life eternal, because you, Lord Jesus, resurrected from the dead. We come before you right now asking you to do a mighty work in us, to not leave us like the guards who only knew money as a currency. But I pray, Lord, that you would address us like you did the women because they were seeking the one who was crucified. They were not ashamed to identify with you. They followed you to the end. I pray, Lord, that you would be with us for those of us who have been closer to death like the women at the tomb. Father, that they would know that every time we seek Jesus, we will find life. I pray for those who are closer to the deception of what money can buy. It's the narrative they've known. It's the narrative that they're bombarded with and they've believed. And I pray, Father, that you would free them from that false narrative by the only narrative that can overcome it, the presence of Christ. I pray that they would know Christ is with me. That's all that matters. And I pray for those who are closer to doubt, to confusion, like even some of the disciples on the mountain, I just pray, Lord, that you would speak to them and that they would not use their doubts to stay away from you, closer to their tomb, closer to death, because apart from resurrected life that we have in Christ, all of us men and women are dead men and women walking. It's just a matter of time. Father, I pray, That for all of us, today, Resurrection Sunday would mark a new beginning. Whatever the last season might have been, He is risen. We love you. We trust you. It's our honor to be here singing your praise. Declaring that the tomb is empty. The Lion of the tribe of Judah has conquered the Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.